Okay. The loud one, last go. Last chance to be loud. It's Andre Gardner, and welcome to our final segment of Abbey Road at 50, All Access. So why did the Beatles call their last album Abbey Road? Here's some insight from producer George Martin. Calling it the album Abbey Road was a kind of measure of desperation because they couldn't think of anything else. I think at one time the album was going to be called Everest, but that was scrapped, and they were desperate for a title. I think it was Paul's idea. just said, why don't we just call it, you know, where we are? And it was a neat idea. The medley at the end of Side 2 was the last music the Beatles recorded together. Before we listen to it, here are the band members' and producers' perspectives. First, George Harrison. I like lots of them. I like Never Give Me Your Money and Golden Slumbers and things. You know, Paul always writes nice melodies. In fact, I don't know where he finds them half the time. It's amazing for doing that. Paul McCartney. Well, I'll tell you, I was just playing the piano in Liverpool, my dad's house, and... Uh, my sister Ruth's piano book, she was learning piano, and you know those sort of with Duke and John Peel yeah. and Golden Slumbers, was up on the stand, you know, there's a little book with all those words in it and stuff. So I was just flicking through it and I came to Golden Slumbers, you know. So I just started, because I can't read music, so I didn't know the tune. I can't remember the old tune, you know. So I started uh, just playing my tune to it. And then I liked the words, so I just kept that, you know, and then it fitted with another bit of song I had which is the verse in between it, so I just made that into a song. It just happened because I was reading their book. There were a couple of things done in this medley musically that had never been done before. First, there were three unique guitar styles playing off of each other. One rumor was that one of those guitars was played by Eric Clapton. No, it was me, George and John. I'm not sure what order it was. Um, I think it was George, me and John, I think. It was just the three of us, though. Yeah. No, that's, that was the nice thing about it. You know, it's difficult to do if you've got three similar styles because the idea doesn't come off, doesn't sound like sort of dueling guitars at all. When we recorded that end bit of Abbey Road, I was into this kind of sequencing like sort of operas and so we put that whole end sequence that you get this song that goes right into this song, there's no gaps. and It's a piece, a whole piece. So when we came to that bit, I knew this would be near the end of this whole structure that we got going with Polythene Pam and Sun King, Bathroom Window, me and Mr Mustard, all of that stuff. So we had to do something a little bit special. So uh, I'm not sure, I can't remember, it was my idea, I think, I think it was. And often the other thing is, everyone wants to do the solo, you know. So what we did was, uh, I said, OK, you take that first lick, I'll take the second lick, John will take the third. John's very distinctive on it. John's the one who goes, gaw, 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 that low stuff, that's very John. The other thing, we had to persuade Ringo to do a bit of a drum solo. And he hated drum solos. He said, I hate solos and I hate them. You know, he used to walk out if there was like a drummer, you know, 15 minutes is this drummer going... I mean, you've got to be a drum scholar to really appreciate some of the things these guys do. But uh, we persuaded Ringo anyway in the end. Once there was a way To get back Carry that way, carry that way. 
Golden Slumbers carry that weight and the end. For some final thoughts on Abbey Road, here's George Martin. I think Abbey Road is probably my favorite album. I've got a kind of four favorite ones, which is Abbey Road and Sgt. Pepper, Rubber Soul and Revolver. But if I had to pick one of them, it would definitely be that last one. I guess because it was the last one, too. But it's also great music. It'll be with us for years to come. People in the 21st century will be listening to that record and saying, that's good music. And Ringo Starr. Let it be, we're in Twickenham. You've seen all the footage and there wasn't a lot of love around. (laughs) And um, anyway, we finished that album, but I think everybody thought that, well, let's go one more time. And you felt it was the last time. The thing about the Abbey Road I love is the so-called, when it was a, uh, an album, the B-side, uh, with all those short songs, bathroom window and all that. It's incredible that we got back to playing so well for the finale, you know, and then it ended. So, you know, I, I really love the idea that we didn't go out some sort of crappy record, you know what I mean, just, oh, we've got to do it. Uh, we played musically. We're playing as good as we ever played, and the songs were good. Uh, and we went out like that, so it was good actually to go out with a good one, you know. The Beatles' Abbey Road is now out in multiple configurations in celebration of its 50th anniversary. There's a single newly remixed disc, a double disc deluxe edition, and a super deluxe four disc version all of which are available in high-definition digital editions as well. And there's a limited-edition picture disc available. Find them wherever you buy your music. Abbey Road at 50, All Access, was produced in New York, New Jersey, and Chester County, Pennsylvania by Near Perfect Productions for Apple Corps Limited, Capital UME. All rights reserved. No portion may be reproduced without the written permission of the producers. This is John Lennon. Hi, this is Paul McCartney. Hi, this is George Harrison. This is Ringo Starr. Hi, this is George Martin. I'm Andre Gardner. Special thanks to all the good folks at Apple Corps Limited and Jamie Hartley of UME. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? You give away all your, your best bits. What are you doing at the beginning? Who? Okay. (laughs) Sounds like Dave Clark. (laughs) This is Ringo Starr. Welcome back to the celebration of Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Aside from his fantastic drumming, Ringo contributed a gem on the first side of Abbey Road, Octopus's Garden. Once again, George Harrison. I like Ringo's song. I mean, most people say, oh, well, it's Ringo or, you know, haha, or something. But it's great that Ringo should do it. You know, why shouldn't he do it? And it's just like a country and western tune anyway, and it's happy tune and it's all that. And I like what he's saying about rest our head on the seabed and all that. We could be warm beneath the storm. What one person may dislike certain things, somebody else likes it. Which is makes it difficult doing albums because we're all influenced by different things and the Beatles has always been sort of a lot of different music. It's never been one sort of bag. Here's Ringo on the inspiration. I went to Sardinia and I knew Peter Sellers who and he had a boat, they said. Somehow he knew I was going. Use my boat, and which we did. And we went on with the kids. And we ordered fish and chips for lunch. And the captain and the cook and everyone, in the end, they gave us squid and chips. And we're from Liverpool. We said, well, what's that? Is <laughs> this is squid? I said, well, we don't eat squid. Have you got any fish? And he ended up just hanging out with the captain talking and we were talking about uh, octopus and he actually was telling me that they build these gardens. You know, octopuses go around the seabed finding shiny things, nice stones, and they put them around and I just thought, well, this is the happiest thing I've ever heard. And uh, had my guitar with me, I played three chords and that's how it happened. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade He'd let us in 
knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. I'd ask my friends to come and see an octopus's garden with me. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. courtesy of Ringo blowing through a straw into a bucket of water. That's Octopus's Garden. While the Beatles were creating Abbey Road, George Harrison and his fellow bandmates were having endless business problems. These difficulties were actually responsible for George writing another irresistible song that opened side two of Abbey Road. The story behind that was, like Paul's song, You Never Give Me Your Money, I think because whatever you're involved with rubs off and influences you. You never give me your money. It was during all these business things that we had to go through to sort out the past. So it came out in Paul's song. That's what it is, you know, that's what we are experiencing, or Paul in particular. But Here Comes the Sun was the same period. We had meetings and meetings and all this banks, bankers and, you know, lawyers and all sorts of things and contracts and... Shirts, and it was really awful because it's not the sort of thing we enjoy. And one day I didn't come into the office, I just sort of, it was like sagging off school. And I went to a friend's house in the country, and it was just sunny, and it was all just the release of the tension that had been building up on me. And it was just really nice, sunny day. And I picked up the guitar, which was the first time I'd played the guitar for a couple of weeks because I'd been so busy. And the first thing that came out was that song. It just came. And I finished it later when I was on holiday in Sardinia. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right.
Written in the garden of Eric Clapton's home, Here Comes the Sun. Now sounding even more wonderful on the 50th anniversary releases of Abbey Road. The suite of songs that make up the majority of Side 2 is forever ingrained in the minds of Beatles fans all over the world. We'll play the first part of the medley in a moment, but let's first let John, George, and Paul take us through the songs. It was also a good way of getting rid of bits of songs we'd had for years. You know. George and Ringo, in fact, sort of wrote bits of it as we did it, you know. Literally, you know, sort of in between bits and breaks into it. Paul would say, we've got 12 bars here, let's fill it in, and we'd fill it in on the spot. You know. My contribution to it is uh, Polythene Pam and Sun King and me and Mr. Mustard, so we just juggled them about till it made vague sense. And in me and Mr. Mustard, I said his sister Pam, and originally it said his sister Shirley in the lyrics, so I changed it to Pam and make make it sound like it had something to do with it. Sun King. And that's where we, we pretend to be Fleetwood Mac for a few minutes. <laughs> See, we did the, the introductions, we call it the sun riff, you know, the little instrumental bit that's like Fleetwood Mac before we start singing. And we did it again on the end, so when we came to sing it, to make them different, you know, so as it wasn't just the same riff, we just started joking, you know, sing cuando para mucho, calling you a few uh, Spanish words from school, you know. So we just strung any Spanish words that sounded vaguely like something. And of course we got chica ferdi, and that's a Liverpool expression, just like sort of, it doesn't mean anything, but you know, it's like, mm -hmm. and cake and eat it is another nice, nice line too, because they have that in Spanish, cake or something, but we just had cake and eat it. Mean Mr. Mustard. I wrote it in India, so that was pre the, Be the Beatles double album, so it's that old. And it was from some newspaper clipping that the title was Mean Mr. Mustard, about some guy had done something or other. You know, but of course, the story's nothing like him, you know, just that was, it was like the newspaper title heading. That's another half a song which I never finished, you know, so I put it in there. I liked Polythene Pam because of its Liverpoolness. She's the kind of a girl that makes the news of the world. You could say she was attractively built. Nobody writes kind of comic stuff, but that still has a certain seriousness about it. Like Polythene Pam was like a really good rock and roll song, really. But it bothers me sometimes when something's so obviously funny and nobody laughs and nobody ever gets it. She came in through the bathroom window. It was when Paul and I went to America to publicize Apple about two years ago to announce the opening. And we were just in the, the flat we were staying in, and he just came out with that line, you know. She came into the bathroom with it, so he'd had it for years, so he eventually finished it. I needed a verse for that. I was looking for verses when we were in the back of a New York taxi cab. And I just looked up, and they have those little signs that tells you who the cab driver is. And this guy was called Eugene Quitz. So, and then it sort of said some number. It said New York Police Department. And so I got, and so I quit the police department. You know, it just was like sitting there in front of me.
The first part of the Abbey Road Suite now brought up to sonic perfection on the 50th anniversary edition of the Beatles' Abbey Road. Sun King, Mean Mr. Mustard, Polythene Pam, and she came in through the bathroom window. When we come back with our all-access 50th anniversary celebration in a few moments, John, Paul, and George take you through the second part of the Beatles' brilliant medley. I get very involved, you know. One, two, one, two, three, four. Fifty years ago, the Beatles recorded and released their last album. Abbey Road is a transcendent work, which seemed impossible after the bitterness between the group members during the sessions for their Let It Be album. 
That record wound up being shelved for almost two years. George Harrison. Well, I suppose officially it was about 69. But we were splitting up for years before that, since we left touring, really. The worst time, I think, was the White Album. That was when the rot started setting in, really. Being together for so long, one of the problems became that we pigeonholed each other. We had preconceived ideas what each other was, and we limited each other too much, and it had to happen. You know, everybody suffered in some way. Paul McCartney. See, the thing is, you grow up, everyone grows up, and it is always a great pity to see a baby turn into an adult. Because it's always nicer when they're a baby and they go goo-goo and they do everything you want. You know, it's lovely. And in a certain period in our career, we were sort of particularly nice. You know, we had like a a very all-round appeal. It wasn't put on, you know, we just, we were more like that, you know. But as we've grown up, you become more individual. We're more true to ourselves these days. And it obviously doesn't please some people, but I think you find like a lot of other people like us for it. John Lennon. Looking back, you understand that before guys very close together and the women that we were with then, wives or girlfriends, had been, you know, the old-fashioned type of female. You know, she never came to the sessions even. You never saw the wives, only for openings when they did their hair, you know. And suddenly we were together all the time, you know, sort of in a corner mumbling and giggling together and doing two virgins and bags. And there, Paul George and me would say, what the hell are they doing? What's happened to him? You know, And my attention completely went off them. Now, it wasn't deliberate. It was just I was so involved and intrigued with what we were doing. And then we'd look around and see that we weren't being approved. But I understand how they felt, because if it had been Paul or George Ringer that had fallen in love with somebody, got totally involved, suddenly... It wasn't like, you know, somebody, George, coming in and saying, I'm going to work with Eric Clapton in a band now, and screw you. Ringo Starr. Well, it was a lot more fun than the other one. Though they came out in reverse, I know, and you know, and most people know, the recording history of it all. And the playing was never the real problem. We were doing what we loved to do, and we loved to do it with each other, and then the rest of life came in. Paul McCartney. I think before the Abbey Road sessions, it was like we should put down the boxing gloves and try and just get it together and really make a very special album. Beatles producer, the late George Martin. Well, it all began unexpectedly because I really thought that the album we'd made before that was our last album. Because Let It Be was a very unhappy album and uh, I didn't want to make any more records with them. They were unhappy within themselves, and it was a kind of limbo in which we were left. But I had a phone call, and Paul rang me up and said, we'd like to get back in the studio again with you. And my immediate reply was, well, I don't really see the point if we're going to do what we did last time. It's not going to be like that at all. We want to go back in the way we used to make records. We want you ready to produce it the same way you did. I said, well, I'd love to do that if I'm given the chance. And that was the kind of beginning of it. And I really went into it with eyes wide open, but scared that it was going to be a damaging experience. It wasn't. It was a beautiful, wonderful event. We all worked extremely well together. All the dissensions that John had with the rest of the group seemed to evaporate, and um, everybody pulled together, and it was a really most wonderful experience. The music reflected the joy the Beatles felt during these recording sessions. To celebrate this landmark record's 50th anniversary on September 27th, the Beatles and Apple Corps Limited, capital UME, have remixed and remastered Abbey Road and released it in multiple editions, all with the new stereo mixes from the original eight-track tapes by George Martin's son Giles. There's the single-disc album on vinyl, a limited picture disc and CD, a two-disc deluxe edition with 16 additional session recordings and demos, and a four-disc super deluxe edition, which includes 23 session recordings and demos. The super deluxe editions have 5.1 surround and Dolby Atmos mixes. All are available as digital downloads in standard, miffed, and in high-resolution formats. Giles Martin. There is a cohesiveness always to the Beatles in the studios. There's love there that you can hear coming through the recordings themselves. There's never a question of anyone doing but the best for the other people in the room. You know, they had each other's backs when they came to recording songs. There's a sound the Beatles make that only they can make. 
but they require all of those four ingredients to do it. Iberia is, is probably the most in tune and perfected record the Beatles made. Hey there, it's Andre Gardner. Join John, Paul, George, Ringo, the late George Martin, and his son Giles over the next hour as we celebrate the Liverpoolians' best-selling album. Welcome to the Beatles, Abbey Road at 50, all access. From the gorgeous new stereo mix on the 50th anniversary of the Beatles Abbey Road, come together. George Martin. When you have a song like Come Together, which is the first track on the side one, with Come Together, it's really basically quite a simple song. And it didn't really come together, you'll forgive my saying so, until Paul started in with his bass. And the bass lick at the beginning of that song actually locked it into a groove that is so idiosyncratic for, for the song. You know, you can't have that song without that bass lick now. 
and becomes part of the song. And that moved it somewhere else. And it was a great trick for Paul to do. Also, that triggered off John too, because he would do his vocal with his cans on. He always liked to hear his voice with a bit of an effect on it in his cans. And he loved tape echo. That was the fortuitous things that happened with the Beatles. Little inspirational things like that made such distinctive sounds. John Lennon. The Come Together track. I think it's pretty funky, you know. I'm biased because it's my song. I dig it, you know. It just happened well, you know. It's a nice funky sound on it. It's me going on tape echo. It's just I'm sort of going through my hands like that. Just after the Abbey Road album was released, Paul McCartney was asked what his favorite songs from the album were. Well, I like um, Come Together. That's a great one. I like Something, George writes. For me, I think it's the best he's written. George Harrison. 150 cover versions of that. In fact, that's a good thing. I bet you never heard the James Brown version. I wrote that in Abbey Road when we were making the White Album. What You know, the album that's called the White Album. I wrote it at that time. And again, you know, that's funny because when you write songs, everything, in a way, sounds familiar, and the more catchy it is, the more familiar it sounds. But writing something, I wrote the main part of that, and then I sort of just put it on ice for about six months because I thought, that's too easy. It sounds so simple. It must be something, because once I got into writing it, the first change, da 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 Once I made that change, everything followed, just da da You know, all those chord changes. So I thought it must be something else, but it wasn't. And I gave that song to Joe Cocker about a year before I did it. And then it took him that long to do it. By the time he did it, I'd have all done it on Abbey Road. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now
something which hit the top spot in the U.S., Canada, Australia, West Germany, New Zealand, and Singapore. All of the Beatles said it was the best song on Abbey Road. Paul McCartney. I always think of it as four corners of a square. You couldn't do without any corner. You know, people will sort of say, well, Ringo was just a drummer. He was much more than that. Still is to this day, very witty, very clever guy. No education whatsoever. Went to school for about three or four days, I think. Because he was ill when he was a kid. George was a huge influence. I've seen books sort of saying, oh, George Harrison standing around with his plectrum in his hand waiting for a solo. That's not it. He was much more involved. We were all of us much more involved. The Beatles made the Beatles what it was by being those four personalities. It wasn't just John. It wasn't just me. Uh, John and I obviously were the songwriters, except when George started to write really great things, he wrote Frank Sinatra's favourite Lennon McCartney song. He introduced it like that, my favourite Lennon McCartney. Hey Frank, it's not. It's a Harrison. All four Beatles shone on Abbey Road. John Lennon and Paul McCartney had two very different approaches to their final recording. George Martin. We did have discussions about the style, the content. I'd long been trying to persuade the guys to develop their ideas of form in albums. I wanted to go on from where Sergeant Pepper left off. Paul thought it was a good idea. I told them the elements of classical music. You know, if you're writing a symphony, you get a few themes together and you start developing them. And you present them in different guises. You bring them back as reprises occasionally. You turn them upside down. You put them into counterpoint without each other and so on. I said, all these things you can do in pop music, and you can bring back your ideas, your musical fragments, weaving them into other songs. You can integrate your music in this way. And Paul thought that was good, and John thought it was crap. John said, no. <laughs> John, John said, I'm a rock and roller, you know, I'm a teddy boy at heart. I like rock and roll songs, period. So we kind of compromised, and we actually made one side of it like John wanted, and the other side was what I wanted to do, with, and with Paul went along with me. And the nice thing about it was that even though he didn't strictly approve of what we were doing, John still contributed. He was still part of the long piece of Abbey Road. And, of course, his contributions on the other side, on the single ones, were were great and extraordinarily varied, too. On side one, Paul contributed a song that he worked incredibly hard to get just that perfect raw vocal quality on, Oh Darling. An update on the 50s rock and roll sound the Beatles loved so much. Yeah, well, we like that stuff, you know. Oh, darling. Oh, darling. Please believe me. I'll never do you no harm.
One of the studio sessions on the 50th anniversary deluxe and super deluxe versions of Abbey Road, take four of Paul McCartney's Oh Darling with Billy Preston on organ and John on barrel house piano. And that's where we, we pretend to be Fleetwood Mac for a few minutes. There's much more to come in our look at the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' landmark album, Abbey Road, right after this. Oh, 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 oh